on today's episode. Dang. Our daddy's the new preacher, but she's the boss of this church. All kinds of tales. From all kinds of tellers. Here on The Appleseed. It's time for The Appleseed. In each episode of the show, we bring you stories from favorite storytellers to entertain you and inspire you. Stories to get you thinking and even help your family tell your own stories. I'm Sam Payne, your host. And our story today is from South Carolina storyteller Tim Lowry. It's a story about an important figure from his childhood, Miss Gim, a wise woman with a lot of influence in Putney Bible Baptist Church in the wilds of Kentucky, where Tim Lowry's father was the pastor. Miss Gim is a missionary lady, that's what Tim Lowry calls her, someone who had great hopes to serve missions abroad but instead funneled her energies into building a community church much, much closer to home. And instead of letting that disappointment haunt her, Miss Gim becomes a stalwart contributor to the lives of the people in Putney, Kentucky, including, of course, Tim and his family. Now, we've shared some of these stories with you before. In fact, Tim Lowry introduced us to Miss Gim in a story about how his father became pastor of the church which spoke about the first sermon his father preached in Putney and how Miss Gim convinced the church to hire his dad. But there's more to hear about Miss Gim and the influence she had not only on a young Tim Lowry, but on the church family they were all part of. If you've ever known someone whose head is as hard as their heart is big, then here's a story for you. If you've ever been the leader of an organization, but behind the scenes, you know who's really the boss. This is a story for you. If you've ever felt what it's like when someone goes out of their way to make what might have been simply a group of people into a community, then here's a story for you. Here's Tim Lowry with the story of Miss Gim, recorded live in the Appleseed studio. I wish you could know Miss Gim. She is on to her heavenly reward now, but she was a marvelous woman. Uh, A prominent visage in finger curls, yes. She was the kind of Sunday school teacher who if she caught you chewing gum in church, not only would you not chew gum in church, you just never would chew gum again the rest of your life. That's the kind of Sunday school teacher she was. And she was last in the receiving line. And when she came by to shake my dad's hand, she leaned in and she said, Pastor, a word. And my dad said, yes, Miss Gim. And she said, "Uh, now that we have a a full-time leader for our congregation, I wondered if the first order of business shouldn't be for you to organize a group of ladies to volunteer to form a nursery so that the young ones, the infants, uh, could be taken downstairs during your preaching so as not to be a disturbance. I was particularly thinking of little ones like um, Tom Jr. And my dad said, oh, yes, Miss Gim, I I think we can do that. And so he very dutifully organized a group of ladies who could start volunteering in in the nursery. And all the little, little children were taken down to the nursery when he preached. I got to know Miss Gim much better a few weeks later, the first time my dad conducted a communion service for the church. I was six years old, and I heard the words of the communion service but I didn't really understand what they meant. They were very familiar to me because I heard them from my dad all the time. He would say, this is my body, which is broken for you. 
this is my blood which is poured out for you. I heard those words, but I didn't really understand what they meant. To be completely honest, I was waiting impatiently for church to be over because after church, there would always be some little tiny glasses full of Welch's grape juice left on the table up front by the pulpit. And I would go up there and put my elbow up on the table and pretend that I was a cowboy from the TV show Gunsmoke and I'd grab those little glasses and throw back some whiskey shots. That's what I like to do after church. And so after my dad had conducted the communion service, I went up front and I grabbed my first whiskey shot and I heard a voice behind me say, young man, put that down. And I turned around to see the biggest lady I had ever seen in my entire life. Miss Skim took the tray of communion wafers and she reached into her sleeve of her dress and she pulled out a handkerchief and she laid it out on the communion table and she poured all of the wafers onto it. She laid down the tray. She folded up her handkerchief like a little envelope and then took her big ample elbow and crunched up all the communion wafers. She lifted that little bag of crumbs. She scooped up the tray with the leftover tiny glasses of Welch's grape juice and she said, follow me. We walked out of the back of the church. My sister was trailing along behind by this point and we went into the graveyard. And she said, these elements have been set aside for a sacred purpose, and we do not play cowboy or gun smoke with them. We will pour the extra grape juice that has not been used onto the flowers here in the graveyard for a little added moisture, and we will sprinkle these breadcrumbs on the grave so that the birds can peck at them. And I thought, how strange. Why go through all of that trouble? Why don't we just throw it away. And she said, absolutely not. These have been set aside for a sacred purpose. And as the birds peck at these crumbs, then they fly into the clouds and we see them going heavenward. And remember that our loved ones who are buried here will be resurrected and we will be caught up to meet them in the air. And so we shall ever be in heaven with the Lord. And my sister said, dang, our daddy's the new preacher, but she's the boss of this church. And nothing could have been truer. Miss Gim built that church. That's both a figurative statement and a literal statement. She had been uh, called to missions and had thought that she would go to the foreign field. But in those days, a mission board would not send a single woman to the wilds of Borneo. So she came to the mountains of Kentucky instead. Same thing. <laughs> And she had started a Sunday school to teach the local children. And as the Sunday school grew into a full-fledged church, they had hired my daddy to be the pastor. She had helped build the meeting house, the building. It was built into a bank. So on one side, there was a big high block wall to make up the basement. And she had helped lay that block. There were stories about how she had come to the work site one day with a basket full of sandwiches for the volunteer workmen. And there was this big hefty mountain man named Hager Ball. And he was was struggling with a 50-pound sack of concrete mix. And she hopped out of the car and set her sandwich basket aside. And she said, oh, my dear Hager, are you struggling with that? Let me be of some assistance. And she picked up 50 pounds of concrete mix, threw it on her shoulder, shinnied up the ladder, and dropped it down at the top of the wall. And he was so shamed that the missionary woman could outlift him, he never came to church again the rest of his life. <laughs> She was a tough lady. She could wield a gun, too. Oh, yeah. One night, she was kept awake because there were two whippoorwills having a conversation in the woods behind her house, and she put a single shell and a shotgun and went out and dispatched both with a single shot. And you might think, oh, I can't believe that missionary lady shot those birds. Actually, that turned out to be providential. <laughs> 
a blessing in disguise. She didn't know it, but there were moonshiners in those woods. They cut through her property about every night, and when they heard that that missionary woman could wield a gun, they stayed well enough away from her property. It probably saved her life. Miss Gim was a marvelous Sunday school teacher, and we loved to visit her house. She had three cats, only two of which, uh, well, one of which was alive. The other two were cast iron doorstops. And the real cat was named Mr. Gray. And then the cast iron doorstops, one at the front door and one at the back door, they were named Gog and Magog. For, yes. We would always go and visit Gog and Magog as little children. And after uh, we had that conversation about the elements of communion in the graveyard, Miss Gim came to my dad and she said, Pastor, a word. My dad said, yes, Miss Gim. She said, I wondered if we couldn't start a junior church service so that uh, young people could be uh, taught about different traditions in the church, baptism, communion, that type of thing, and learn the real meaning of these very special ceremonies. My dad said, oh, yes, Miss Gim. I think that would be a very good idea. And so he dutifully found another group of volunteers who could start a junior church service for the older kids. Miss Skim was very kind to us Sunday school kids, and if you did her any favor, she always rewarded you handsomely. If you raked leaves for her or, or helped her around her house, she didn't just give you a quarter or a pat on the back. She gave you a whole Hershey bar. Oh, yes. And so one day I was older. I was probably about 10 by this point. There was a snow on and there was no school. And so my sister and I had gone to the church to play in the fellowship hall while my dad worked in the office. And the mail, the post office was just down the road from the church. When the mail was delivered to the post office, I told my dad, I said, I'm going to go down to the post and get Miss Gim's mail and I'll carry it up the hill to her so she doesn't have to get out into the snow. My dad said, that'd be a very good idea. So I went down to the post office and picked up her mail. I was wearing cowboy boots. So I was trying to climb up a snowy hill. She lived in a house way up on the hill above our church. I was trying to climb this hill in slick bottom cowboy boots. And I'd get about six feet up the hill and I'd slide back down. And I'd get about 10 feet up the hill and I would slide back down. By the time I got to the top of the hill, I was covered in wet snow. My boots were packed with snow. The mail was a mess. And when she finally saw me at her door, she flung the door open. She kicked Magog aside and said, oh, please come right in, come right in. My goodness, you're going to die of frostbite. And she thumped me into a chair and pulled off my boots and pulled off my socks. And I was so embarrassed that my Sunday school teacher could see my bare feet. And she could see that I was embarrassed. So she went and got a pan of hot water and she put it on the floor and she said, here, put your feet into this water and then I won't be able to see them. Well, the water was clear, but somehow that fooled me and it worked. I put my feet in the water and it felt nice and then I wasn't embarrassed anymore. And she said, you're going to want something to do. Uh, look through the window at the birds. And she handed me a pair of binoculars. Outside her window, she had this bird feeder against the hemlock tree. And because she lived on the mountain right next to the woods, all the wild birds would come to the feeder. And I sat there looking through the binoculars. There were cardinals and red, red bird cardinal, blue jays, uh, lots of chickadees. She didn't, like, she didn't like the blue jays. She said that they were uh, aggressive. They chased all the other birds off the feeder. She called them a result of the fall. She said they were glorified crows. Yes, she didn't like them. She'd pay you a dollar for shooting bluebirds. Yeah, yeah, you give a dollar for every dead bluebird you brought her. That's how you made your summer camp money. You'd shoot birds for the missionary lady. Yeah. 
Well, I watched that. And she showed me in the National Geographic. She always kept a stack of National Geographics next to the window. She showed me an article about Jane Goodall and how she studied wildlife and the apes and all of that. Well, I was very taken with that. And so I asked my dad if I could have a bird feeder like Miss Kim. And he said, yeah, yeah, that'd be a good science project for you. We'll put one up, and then you could keep a journal and keep track of all the birds that come to the feeder. Well, I had read about Jane Goodall at Miss Gim's house in the National Geographic, how she named all the apes that she was studying, and I wanted to name the birds. But there were lots of birds coming to the feeder, and I, I couldn't think up enough names for all of them. And my dad, being the preacher that he is, he flopped open the Bible and said, let me introduce you to the genealogies. <laughs> and so I would just copy names out of the Bible and give assignments to the birds. We had a pair of cardinals that were named Abraham and Sarah, and we had a second pair of car cardinals named Isaac and Rebecca. There were so many chickadees, you couldn't give them individual names, so we just called them Children of Israel. And we would <laughs> write them in the journal, Children of Israel feeding at four o'clock in the afternoon. And when Miss Kim heard about my science project, she said, Pastor, a word. My dad was quickly learning that this always meant more work for him. She said, I wonder if we couldn't start a junior boys and girls club, uh, kind of like the Scouts, but more uh, with a spiritual emphasis so that our young people could learn about God's wonderful natural creation. My dad said, yes, Miss Kim, I think we can do that. And so he started another group of volunteers to take care of the junior boys and girls club. It was a small country church. Pretty soon he was going to have nobody to preach to because they were all volunteering for the other projects that Miss Kim had suggested. Tim Lowry will be back with more of the story of Miss Gim, recorded live in the Appleseed studio before our terrific studio audience. Miss Gim is an example of someone with ideas and motivation and energy and even more heart. She's the kind of person that someone could make fun of or find irritating, but there's a lot of grace in this community, a lot of making room for such a big personality and a lot of recognizing the strengths that she brings to the church family because church communities aren't made up only of the official leadership, but of all the people who give and serve, whether they're the young people, as Miss Gim calls them, who help clean the pews and mow the lawn, or the ladies who bring pretzel salad to the potlucks, or the Sunday school teachers who are in the lives of their students all week long. When I think of Miss Gim, I think of Joan Lindsay, who took on a volunteer church assignment to direct a musical play featuring as many of the folks in the town where I grew up as could possibly fit on a stage. The musical was The Sound of Music, and I like to joke that I played the third Von Trapp kid from the left, but the truth is I know exactly who I played. I played Friedrich, who's 14 and impossible. My dad played Captain Von Trapp. My mom played violin in the orchestra. And the stage was full of all our neighbors, too, as Nazis or nuns or Austrian upper crust. And it's what we did for a summer. And the next summer, Joan Lindsay took on another church assignment to direct Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. And the next year, you're a good man, Charlie Brown. Some of the best days of our church-going youth were spent rehearsing and performing those plays. And we all think of Joan Lindsay as an important person in our social development, even our spiritual development, if you like. After all, those were church projects. 
We got to sing words like, you're a good man, Charlie Brown. You're the kind of reminder we need. You have humility, nobility, and a sense of honor that are very rare indeed. Singing about those things, big and loud and on stage in front of the whole town, made the songs from those shows, some of them anyway, settle down in our hearts right next to the hymns we sang on Sundays. Maybe Tim's story about Miss Gim made you think of someone too. Tell that story and you keep that person with you. Coming up, you're going to hear more of Tim Lowry's story about Miss Gim. Stories have this wonderful way of sprouting like seeds and growing as the stories bring up thoughts that grow into conversations. And maybe that's why we call this show The Apple Seed. Coming up again, more Tim Lowry on The Apple Seed. I'm Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure to be with you on the Appleseed today. A moment ago, we began a story with Tim Lowry, the South Carolina storyteller. The story of Miss Gim, a person prominent in Tim's childhood, a Sunday school teacher who gave her all to the community she lived in. We have more of the story of Miss Gim coming up. We'll go back to the studio to hear Tim Lowry Tell us more about this important person, a person who may bring up for you memories of someone that you love, someone important to you. Here's Tim. Whenever there's a snow on, I always think of my Sunday school teacher, Miss Gim, because so many of the memories that I have of her are bound up with Christmas and winter time. When we were young children, she came to us one Sunday and she said, now, um, I want to invite you, my sister and I, my sister's name is Joy. She said, I want to invite you and Joy, Timmy and Joy, to come up to my house after church this evening and watch the Christmas specials on my colored television. Oh, and that was really something. Everybody else we knew, including us, we had a black and white TV, but Miss Gim had a large colored television. She said, the Christmas specials always begin at 7 p.m. on Sunday night, and our service is at 6. So just as soon as the service is over, just go right out to my car, and we'll drive up the hill to my house. We'll only miss the opening credits. I'll make cocoa for you. You can have a Hershey bar if you want. And then you can lay on the floor under the Afghan, and you can watch the Christmas specials in living color. So we saw Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Frosty the Snowman, and her colored television was even remote control. Remote control wasn't really well known yet, so she had made her own. She'd taken the back of the TV off and had wired a light switch on a big long cable around to the back of the television. She couldn't change channels, but she could turn the sound off because she did not like commercials. She called them worldly trash. So whenever commercials would come on, she'd click, turn off the sound. Well, when the Christmas specials show, all the commercials are for toys. And so we would beg her, no, no, turn the commercials back on. She'd say, oh, of course, dear children, you want to see the toy commercials. And she would turn them on, and we would sing all the jingles together. I remember, light, bright, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You can make pictures with light, light, bright. My sister was very taken with this riding toy called an inchworm. And so on another occasion, when we went to our car in the church parking lot, in the back seat when we opened the doors, sitting on my side was a light bright 
brand new, still in the box. And on my sister's side, there was an inchworm. And my sister said, ooh, Santa Claus came to church. And my daddy said, no, I think Santa Claus looks like a missionary lady who lives up the hill from our church building. She um, watched that TV all of the time, and she always had wonderful gifts. Whenever you went to Miss Kim's house, you you never came home empty-handed. There was always a a sack of nuts or a pound cake or some fruit or something she wanted to give you. Uh, One year, she gave to every church member the most unique Christmas present I have ever seen. It started when I was very little. First time we ever went to Miss Gim's house, I was probably still about six years old. My daddy had asked to use her restroom, and he came out of the restroom, and he looked at me, and he said, Timmy, come here. And I said, I don't need to go. And, and he said, come here. I said, I don't even need to try. He said, come here. So I went over to my dad, and we walked into the bathroom together, and he lifted the lid of the toilet seat. And underneath the toilet seat, there was this zigzaggy line that went all the way around. And he said, Miss Gim appreciates a heated toilet seat. So she has wired a heating coil to the underside of her toilet seat, and she plugs her commode into the wall. And then he looked at me, and he said, Never get that wet, or you will light up like a Christmas tree. And there came a year when she came to my dad and said, Pastor, a word. I know that we usually give all the families a frozen turkey or a ham on the Christmas Eve service, but this year I've taken the liberty of going to the hardware store and buying toilet seats and wiring them for each family. And she stood at the door and bid everybody a Merry Christmas after Christmas Eve service and handed all 17 families of our church their own heated toilet seat. And everybody went home and dutifully put them onto their toilet and plugged them in because she was going to make house visits to see if you were using that thing. Oh, yes. We went to her house one time for Christmas, and instead of decorating with traditional decorations, she had lava lamps sitting on every flat surface in her living room, orange and purple and green wax going up and down. And my dad said, Miss Gim, where did you get all of these? I mean, I was waiting for the sitar music, you know? (laughs) He said, where did you get all these lava lamps? And she said, oh, they were all at the thrift store. And he didn't have the heart to tell her that there had been a drug bust at a local opium den, and the police had given all those lava lamps to the thrift store. She just loved them and brought them all home. When she found out where they came from, she went right to my dad and said, Pastor, a word. My dad said, yes, Miss Kim. She said, I wondered if we couldn't start a youth group for the teenagers so they'd have something better to do with their time. (laughs) When I was a teenager and part of that youth group that she suggested, one day the phone rang, and my dad hung up the phone, and he looked at me, and he said, get your hat and your boots and follow me. We went out and got in the car. There was a heavy snow on. I guess a neighbor had discovered that Miss Gim needed some help. Somebody had called my dad. We drove down the road and up the hill to her house, and she was standing outside in the snow, holding onto the porch post, and there was blood in the snow all around her. It wasn't 
actually a lot of blood, but you see just a little bit of blood on bright white snow, and it's very dramatic. And I jumped out of the car, and I ran toward her, and I said, Miss Kim, you're, you're hurt. And she said, oh, you're worried about the blood. She said, don't be worried about that. She said, I slipped and fell. I, I came out to salt the steps because I thought one of my Sunday school children might bring me my mail today. And, and I came out to salt the steps so they wouldn't slip. And I slipped and fell, and I tried to catch myself as I fell, and I caught my hand on the porch railing, and I, I've torn the flesh, and that's where the blood is from. But, it, it, but it's, it's just a flesh wound. It's not bad. I'm more worried about my leg. It doesn't belong to me. <laughs> and then when I looked at her more carefully, I realized one leg was markedly shorter than the other, and we learned later that she had broken her hip. And my dad said, Miss Kim, how can we help you? And she said, go into the house and get a straight back chair from the kitchen. So we went and got a chair and she sat down on a broken hip. And we lifted her up and carried her into the kitchen. She was very pale. Her lips were blue and she was trembling. And of course, my dad feared that she was in shock. She grabbed my dad by the arm and she said, Pastor, would you please call the funeral home? And my dad said, Miss Kim, I don't think you're going to die. And she said, oh, no, I don't either. But I led those young men to the Lord several years ago, and they also run an excellent ambulance service. So call the funeral home, and they'll send an ambulance service to take me to the hospital. So we dutifully got the phone and called the ambulance service, the one where she had converted the young men who ran the business. They came to get Miss Kim. They got her on a gurney and put her in the back of the ambulance. And just as they were ready to close the doors, my dad said, Miss Kim, is, is there anything else that we can do for you? And she said, oh, oh. Please stay long enough to feed the birds. And then they closed the ambulance doors and they drove away. We were standing there in the driveway and I looked at my dad and I said, you messed up. And he said, how did I mess up? I, I did my best to care for her. I asked her if there was anything I could do for her. I said, that was the problem. If you had not asked, was there anything else that you could do for her and given her the opportunity to give you one final instruction, you could have finally been the boss of this church. <laughs> The last time I saw Miss Gim was years later. My family moved away from Kentucky to South Carolina, but we went back to Kentucky, the land of my birth, for my wedding because I married a Kentucky gal. And at our wedding, when my wife and I turned around and were pronounced Mr. and Mrs. Tim Lowry and we started back down the aisle, Miss Gim could not wait for the reception. She just stepped out and stopped us midway down the aisle in the middle of the church and reached into her purse and pulled out a hundred dollar bill and she said i ironed this for you young folks i wanted it to be very crisp and she handed us our wedding present gave us a kiss on both cheeks and that was the last time i saw my sunday school teacher miss gim she died a few years later whenever there's a snow at christmas time i often think of her sam began by reading an entry in the family journal about remembrance. And when there's a snow on, I think of Miss Gim. And I remember the words that my dad speaks when he conducts a communion service. And I see her standing there in the snow. This is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood which is poured out for you. And now, because of her sacrificial service, I so much better understand as I remember and I know what those words mean. That was Tim Lowry with the story of Miss Gim. 
Thanks for joining us today on The Appleseed. And thanks to Tim Lowry for sharing his stories with us. Listening to these stories always brings up memories for me that I love to share. Where do the stories take you? And who will you take along? Our episode today was produced by Brian Tanner and Heather Bigley. Our audio engineer is Carly Wilson. Trent Horton, Natalia Reeve, Hannah Harlan, and Evie Hendricks make up the rest of the Appleseed team. If you want to send us a note, you can email us at theappleseed at byu.edu. Again, that's theappleseed, all one word, at byu.edu. Or if you're listening through a podcast app, rate us and leave us a little review. It helps people find the show. We're pleased and proud to be among the many shows in the BYU Radio family of programs. And you can find this episode or any episode in our archive on the BYU Radio app, at byuradio.org slash Appleseed or by Googling the Appleseed Podcast. I'm Sam Payne, and I can't wait to be with you again on the Appleseed.